So we started uh, the church in, uh, in Easter, and as you've heard me say a few times, the first thing we did is look at Acts 2.42 for a number of weeks, weeks. What did the early church devote themselves to? Because we're an early church, so we want to be devoted to the same things the early church was. And now we've transitioned into this kind of series. We're looking at these key pillars, foundational values of this church that I feel like God has for us. And so we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at joy and the fact that the kingdom of God in Matthew 22, it says the kingdom of God is like a banquet. It's like a celebration. Bruce's story is worth celebrating and that is because that is what God does. The church is the inaugurated kingdom. It's like God's heavenly realm is broken in and the church is the program for the kingdom of God. So how can we do anything but celebrate his goodness to us? And so that's why we start with the upbeat songs. It isn't just for the children. It's for us to praise the one who's worthy of it all, who's done it all. And so we celebrate. We've, we've, we've got an impoverished spirit often in the church where we're very melancholic half the time and, uh, and very, you know, so we, whatever. That's, that's the last two weeks sermon listen to the podcast. I, I want to talk uh, in the remaining time about peace. I believe that this is called to be a community of peace. And so what I want to do to uh, kick that off is to play a three-minute video by the Bible Project guys who are absolute ninjas at uh, unpacking some of the themes throughout Scripture. So this will give you a good overview in terms of um, uh, what, Bibli- what the piece is about in, all the, in the Bible and whatnot. So let's hit play on that, Cass, and, uh, and this will give you a good start. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. 
The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Isn't that helpful in terms of just an overview for what biblical peace is all about? Now, something that we've really got to hammer home continually as we gather together on Sunday mornings and as we open the Word of God is that the reason we do this whole thing is that we want to be like Jesus. We're choosing to follow Him, to be His apprentices, to choose the way of Jesus, to learn from Jesus what it looks like to be fully human. That's what we're all about. And what's beautiful is that we have the Holy Spirit teaching us how to be like Jesus. And so again, we've looked at this whole thing of joy. Jesus carried that first uh, miracle at the wedding feast, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, He's also a man of peace. And we are invited to be like Jesus, to be a person filled with peace. In Romans uh, 8, 5 to 6, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by, governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Hallelujah. And you are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been, we'd love to pray for you that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit wants to lead you so that you would discover the life and peace that we find as we choose to follow the way of Jesus. God himself is the God of peace. Uh, And you can see this on the screens on Romans 15, uh, 33, 16, 21. There's a whole bunch of it. God is the God, next slide, he's the God of peace. Um, Christ is the one who gives peace. Now may the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. If there's anything we need today in the 21st century, it's the peace of God the shalom of God. So here's three ways that I want to encourage us to have the peace of God, to simply receive it. And the first is this. The Bible says that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can have peace with God. So you can have peace with God. The gospel is a gospel of peace. Romans 5, 1 to 2, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter what you've done, you can have peace with God. 
It doesn't matter what your background is, what kind of stupid things you've done that have dehumanized you, that have hurt others. You can have peace with God. Now, I know we talk about this all the time, but the problem is it's one of the greatest challenges of the Christian life for that to move from some theological belief in our head to a burning reality in our hearts where we celebrate the grace and mercy of God. You are free. There's nothing more that Jesus could do. He took it all upon himself. Now, sometimes I have to walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes my emotions and my senses make me feel stink still, but I choose to walk the way of Jesus and believe that he's removed it from me as far as the east is from the west. And the more that we allow that truth to permeate our hearts and minds, the more we believe it. Indeed, as Bruce says, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we stop believing the lie that we should feel guilt and shame, and we start to believe that he's... he's, Come to take us from places of guilt and fear to places of grace and freedom. You can have peace with God. Everyone can have peace with God, not because of what you do. You just receive the gift. That's all you have to do. So we can have peace with God. So I pray that by His Spirit, even this morning, you would feel peace with God. Things are right with you and God, not because of your behavior, but because of Jesus' choice to go to the cross, to go up to that hill on Calvary and take it upon Himself. We're free. And it's scandalous. It's absolutely scandalous because we don't deserve it. And he gives it anyway. And there's no like scale about how at a certain point you're too naughty for Jesus. It doesn't matter how deep your pit is, his love is deeper still. And he loves you and you can be free. The second thing that we can have peace with is in our hearts and minds. In Philippians 4, 7, peace guards our hearts and peace rules in them, Colossians 3.15. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Again, I I love the kids, the fact the kids are looking at this. I think currently Galatians 5 is my life verse or the the, the verse of this particular decade. It may be a few decades. Because get your heads around this. I've said this one time. I'm going to say it a whole lot of times. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is that love, joy, and peace are growing in your in your reality. That you it's not something you do the fruit of the Spirit, it's something you are. So you feel loved and you can love others. You feel joy because of whose you are in Christ. No matter what crap you're going through in your life, you can still have the joy of the Lord. And thirdly, that you can have peace in your heart and mind. We live in an anxious, stressed out, hurried world. And because of what the Holy Spirit does, we can be at peace. Isn't that amazing? Now, Jesus drives this home pretty seriously in in, uh, Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. FYI, our next series after we've done uh, this series is going to be on just, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. How do we just live in the way of Jesus? His longest sermon, we're going to exegete our way through it. And like, how how can we outwork this radical countercultural kingdom? We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount and unpack it in some detail. In the middle of that sermon, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is, life not, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? 
And he goes on, don't worry about your clothes. Look at the flowers in the field. They're, they're more beautiful than Solomon, all of his splendor. Don't worry about what we should eat or drink and all of these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough of its worries of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Jesus is saying all this because he does it. Like Jesus the only reason Jesus could say all this is because Jesus, who had, by the way, a fairly pressured job description, saved the world in a short amount of time, he, he would just be like, ooh, look at that lily. Oh, oh, oh stunning. Yeah. And he would just be like looking at that for ages. Isn't that glorious and beautiful? And ooh, bird. Oh, you know, and I'm like, Jesus, bro, you've got to save the world. Hey, I'm saying, mate, wow, isn't that stunning? Isn't that gorgeous? Jesus was so present to the world around him. And what Jesus is saying here is very interesting. We need to learn the way of Jesus because we all struggle with worrying about all this stuff in the future. And what it does is rob us of peace in the present. Now, we're all going to be at varying levels of maturity on this particular area of our life. And I've got to plank out my eye. I'm a hypocrite in transition. I'm not all like, you know, Jimmy Jesus and all sorted on Jesus' cousin now or something. I'm just Sam trying to do my bit. About, but I'm passionate about this because personally, as a, I've been a pastor for 15 years. And uh, our previous church in Christchurch had 2,000 people in it. Um, I was not the, the top dog, I was the I was two IC and had um, a few other jobs and stuff. But the reality is in a church that size, there's big pastoral care things going on all the time. Just statistically, it's just inevitable. We always had someone dying of cancer. Um, we always had um, mate, you know, a suicide. You know, it was like big pastoral stuff was regular, big pastoral stuff. Um, not only that, 2,000 people, there's always a wee bit of conflict going on somewhere, you know, and a bit of argy-bargy somewhere and a bit of disagreement about something because it's like scale up a church and, you know, well, welcome to, you know, paradise in terms of complexity and dynamics and all that sort of thing. And so the only reason I'm still a pastor today is I've had to train my mind to park things. And now here's the thing. All of us have got stresses in our lives. That's normal, okay? You're, it's normal. It's You've all got pressures at work and financial things and relational things. That's normal, absolutely. But here's the thing, you, and God wants you to process that stuff. So I'm not talking about burying it, and neither is Jesus, ignoring it, hoping it goes away. Of course not. We need to process the, the stuff that's causing us to be a bit stressed. And, and if you want a good case study for this, look at the entire book of the Psalms. David's journal, pretty much, where he's just processing, Lord, kill the enemy. Why do they do this? It's not fair that this is happening, and on he goes. So it's normal to process, but then there is a point where, where it moves from being processed to pride, because we are holding on to something, thinking that somehow us stewing on it is somehow going to change the situation. And what happens is the enemy loves us to stay in that place because it robs us from being present to what's happening around us. And so one of the disciplines we need to learn if we want to be serious about being people of peace is learning to process well with the right people. But then at a certain point, you've got to park that thing. And you can train yourself to stop thinking about it. You can actually train yourself, like I, I just wouldn't be a great, you know, there'd be times I certainly have failed at this, but I, 
be even worse of a husband and even worse as a dad if I hadn't learned to do this. Because that stuff sits there. But Jesus is saying, why worry about that stuff that's down the track? Today's got enough stuff to deal with on its own. So after you've processed, park it, just write it down or whatever, just think whatever insights you've got, then leave it and choose to be present with the people and the birds and the lilies and all the rest that's around you and allow the peace of God that transcends understanding, that seems countercultural and weird and why should I feel peace right now? Allow that to fill your heart and your mind. And then just start enjoying the gift of God, of the friendships around you, the food around you, this incredible region. Come on, you go for a walk or something and just savor God's glory revealed in creation or whatever it may be, and you'll feel the life of God start to renew you. And you know what? If you can't do that, you're saying that you are God. That somehow you stewing on that and all the rest of it is going to change it, which it never does. And that actually you're saying, I can't give this to you, God, because I've got to stay in control. And how about we let go and let God, <laughs> hashtag cheesy tweet or whatever, um, and allow the peace of God to just fill our hearts and mind, in spite sometimes of this. And, and my prayer is that the pocket muscle gets stronger. It has to, because you, you're going to go through stuff. Uh, just in, in closing, before I move to my last point, my, one of my good friends, uh, we uh, studied at Bible college together and um, became very close friends, great guy. Um, and he, as we got to know each other, you know, you share your stories and your life and all the rest of it. And he said that around about, probably a bit younger than me, when he had very young children, had three children as well, um, he was struggling with depression and all sorts of stuff and actually got suicidal. Um, he was in a you know, high-pressure job and just he was burdened by all this stuff. And so I was like, bro, well, how did you get through that? Because he's, he's just now one of these guys that you want to be when you grow up. You know? You're like, you're just a legend. And he said that he would drive home and he felt the weight of the world on his shoulders, but then when he would walk up the pathway and have this pot plant there and he called it the dumping pot. <laughs> and, he, and he wouldn't walk inside until he was, until he was ready to dump all the stuff and just leave all the stuff in his mind just there. So it's a top tip, but I thought it's helpful. It's like if you're really under the pump, get a dumping pot and just go, okay, this is, at this point I'm just going to dump it all there and, and all, on the, you know, all of the stuff in my life can go there. And, and I'm just going to change gears in my head and go, that's staying there. Now I'm walking, I'm going to be present to my kids, I'm going to be present to my wife, I'm going to be present to my friends, I'm going to be present to the meal, present to the craft beer, whatever it is that you're just kind of in the moment of. And just again, allow the peace of God just to rule and reign your hearts. Now we need to learn this in a very stressed out, crazy world. And again, this is why I want us to be apprentices of the way of Jesus. It's far richer. Here's my third point and the main thing I want to say. The first is we have peace with God. Second, peace in our mind. Third is peace because of the pace of our lives. This is going to push you. Here we go. I'm going to put the gloves on now, friends. Hold on to someone or something because... I was listening to an amazing sermon by a guy called John Mark Cummer, and he, um, he, so a lot of these thoughts are from his sermon, and he was saying, uh, he, was, he had this real genius theologian friend, like scholar, and he got asked, this friend of his, what was the one word that you would use to describe Jesus? And this theologian scholar took a little while, but then he said this, relaxed. That was the one word that he picked, this is a genius level scholar, about how he would describe Jesus. And he said, when you look at Jesus, he was present to every moment. And when you go through uh, 
this, when you look at the gospel in this lens, it's fascinating. Jesus is under enormous pressure to run to someone sick. To, there's this pressure on him constantly, and, he's, and you never see him run. The only time in the Bible you see a picture of God running is in John 15, when the father runs to his son. How awesome is that? Every other time, Jesus is cruising. Jairus is going to die, cruising. You know, woman, you know, begging for, for healing. Cruise. He's just, there's just not, and in fact, some scholars suggest that Jesus' diary is a busy three months. Like they've looked at what he did in the Gospels and said that's a busy three months. Jesus ministered for three years. Jesus wasn't stressed and running from place to place. And so one of the countercultural ways that we need to embrace if we're serious about following Jesus is we have got to slow down the pace of our lives. I actually think this is one of the most countercultural things Christians are called to in the 21st century is to have a slower pace of life, to let our ordered lives confess the beauty of his peace, that we would have margin in our lives to actually be with people and to be with God and that we would slow down. Now listen, there was a study done by this guy, Mike Zigarelli, of 20,000 Christians and uh, and just exploring their lives and their habits and whatnot. And it disco- he discovered that Christians are just incredibly busy and incredibly distracted. And he says this, that there's a vicious cycle prompted by this cultural conformity. Now listen to this. He says, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the cycle begins again. How, how, I mean... I don't want to dish out some conviction burgers this morning, but it's like, who's feeling the pinch a bit where it's like, man, my life with Jesus is just anorexic and, uh, and, and probably it's because I'm foot to the floor the whole time. And it is. Uh, and so this, God wants us to break free. This is why in Luke 4, he says, I have come to set the captives free. And, he, and I'm going to talk all about this next week in terms of what a weekly rhythm can look like, especially around the Sabbath. But here's the thing. Uh, God wants us to be freed from slavery. And if you cannot slow and stop down, you are still a slave. And so he wants to free us. Now, every time we read Luke 4, we think, oh, captives free, that's for real dirty sinners. How about, what if we start looking at sin, not just as naughty things on the internet or drinking too much or smoking things, they're all naughty things, but what if we look at sin in the true biblical sense of the word, that anything that dehumanizes us, anything that robs our soul of the life in Jesus. And in that case, we're dirty, all rotten sinners, aren't we, in the 21st century, because we're foot to the floor. And here's the thing, I want us to be a church that builds the kingdom the king's way. Because it's like, there's so many... Churches and leaders, unfortunately, who are building the kingdom the king's way, stressed out, overworked, foot to the floor, killing themselves. Their souls are completely smoked because they've just got, it's insane. Now, again, hypocrite in transition, okay? Now, here's the reality for me. We planted this church 14 weeks ago, and the season leading up to that was mental, (laughs) 
Um, I violated the Sabbath. I worked huge hours. I, I cooked myself really, a little too much. And the funny thing, it turns out about planning a church, which I've never done before, it turns out that there's no natural finish line because you launched the thing, but then you've got all these new people that have come and you've got to get the signal groups going. And there was no finish line. And then like, I was feeling pretty smoked. And it was like, hold on a second. Like, God spoke to me ages ago about this being a place of peace. And I was like, I've got to live this. And so I'm like, just, you know, it's just a nightmare. And I'm like, and not only that, I don't get paid. So it's not like, you know, you're like, well, you know, we, how you, very nice for you, Pastor Bro, to, you know, swan around or whatever and have a peaceful lifestyle. I'm like, well, screw you. I don't, you know, it pays me, so I can do whatever the hell I want with my time. And uh, not only that, reality is I'm going to get paid soon, which is going to be awesome. And, uh, and, I th- and I suspect most of you want a pastor that's not stressed out and burnt out. And most of you want a pastor on his knees seeking God and praying and going for long walks and, and, and just blah, 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 right? So the top two inches, the, now insert your job here, the top two inches is the battle. It's the battle around, because we always think that we're a victim. We always think that my circumstances are so unique that I can't actually have a lifestyle that has margin and peace in it. And so we say, I have no control. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. You can take control of your life. And you, because it's not just you. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you into places of peace. Now, is he powerful enough to do that or not? Like, where's our faith? Do we believe that God can lead us there? Is it complex? Yes. Is it tricky? Yes. Are you going to have to have wisdom? Yes. But you can do it. And this is, I want us to be that sort of church. Ronald Reiser said this, Today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion, pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. We are called to follow the one who went into lonely places. We are called to follow the one who went into places of solitude. We are called to follow the one who disappointed the religious institution because he went away. The one who disappointed his family. The one who disappointed the expectations of his disciples. The one who disappointed the crowds. Why? Because his soul was more important than their expectations. And we are called to follow the one into that silent, solitude place so that our souls may be restored. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, says Dallas Willard. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The solution is not that we would somehow magically find more time in the week to get some more margin in our lives. The challenge is that we would slow down and simplify our lives around the essentials. Like we think, oh, if I, you know, I've thought this, I'm sure you have, if I only had a, a, there were more hours in the day, or if only there was more days in the week, you know what would happen? Because of the way that your brain is wired, you'll continue to do exactly what you do right now. you just fill it with all sorts of other stuff. We have to be brutal about going here. So here's, now I know this is challenging, right? But I just think this is an untapped countercultural movement that the church is called into to be slow people of peace, where the pace of our lives has margin and has time with the Lord and is just beautiful. And so uh, there's a number of ways that we can uh, do this, um, and I'm going to talk about this next week. And again, uh, this is why I emphasize we're called to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. 
So it's a lifelong journey. And this, uh, this gets me super excited because I, I just think, ooh, this is going to be an interesting journey for us as a church. But I really feel like God's calling us to be a light on a hill in a dark world that says you don't have to live like that. You can be free. You can live this beautiful, beautiful rhythms and daily rhythms and weekly rhythms that fill your soul with life and that has margin for people and intimacy with God and all that. So a bunch of things that I want to challenge us into, and I'm going to unpack some of these more as we go along. Sabbath, which I'm going to talk about in a whole sermon next week. Um, Secondly, silence and solitude is, is we, we need to ask ourselves, Jesus was doing this all the time. How are we doing with places of silence and solitude? Now, this isn't easy when you've got young children. Um, I'm going to say this next week, but I'll say it now. Leviticus is a whole book about basically saying it's complex to do some of this stuff. You've got to wrestle with it. You've got to put some detail on it. You've, and, and as the season changes, you have to work it all out again. <laughs> But um, for those with young children, this is a chat you have with your significant other and you work out, how can we do this? How can we build this margin into our lives? Thirdly, uh, is simplifying our lives. Uh, There's this kind of mantra that more stuff equals more happiness in our culture, but it's a lie. And um, so here's the, like, either Jesus is wrong or marketing is a lie. You know, I think Jesus is onto something that a lot of people don't want you to believe because they like making money from you. But what if we just go, man, I want to simplify my life. I want to, I'm not going to hunger after all that other stuff. I'm going to simplify things. And lastly, that we would just be slowing down. Now, John, James Mark Kummer suggests a bunch of ideas here just to practically just slow us down. He's like, drive the speed limit. I got a ticket the other day, first one I've had in years, uh, for driving a little quick after drop-off from school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that was a lovely little present. And um, he's like, why don't you get in the slow lane just for fun? Yeah. Now, can you feel the reaction in your body at the thought of it? <laughs> right? Can you feel it? It's like, well, how broken are we that we start, like, our brains start going, you know? Uh, he's this. He, he, I love this, and, and maybe we need to talk about this. Jen, I hate preaching when you sit there. But, um, <laughs> but Mark, John Mark Kummer said, said that what they've done, he's my age, and he said for three years now we've turned off our cell phones at 8 o'clock at night. You know? And, um, and I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Whoa, easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Nothing like vegging out in front of that screen, but it's like, what if we read books or we went for a walk or we just stared at the, I don't know, stared at the stars or whatever, man, had a nice bottle of red or whatever. You know, it's like there's this whole thing we're missing out on because we're getting so distracted. I know, we all know it, but we've got to get freed from that addiction, right? Um, listen to this one. Deliberately, deliberately get into the longest line at the supermarket and don't look at your phone and just see how you react and see what's going on. And here's the thing. He's like, because, like, you know, back in my day, in my day, you know, it's like we would go to a supermarket whatever, and we didn't have phones, and so there was this thing called boredom that we, like, we had as part of our lives. You know, we went to the toilet, it was just, you know, you'd stare at the tiles and count them, or you would, you know, people would put magazines in there and stuff, and it's like, these days, you've got a phone, you know, you hope you wash your hands and wash the phone, whatever, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, so he's like, but he's the, he says this great line. All these moments of boredom that we're missing out on are portals in prayer, to prayer, that we're missing out on. 
So in that place of boredom, we could just pick the longest line of supermarket and choose not, and just be like, all right, Lord, now how am I doing? And just slow down our mind and slow down our hearts. And like, now this is radically countercultural, and anything radically countercultural that leads us to life is Jesus. So here's the thing, to step into this, now this is, this is a series we probably need to do at some point, so we'll keep talking about this because this is one of our key values. But to step into this, here's a number of things that we need to, to actually wrestle with. If we want to step into rhythms and a life of peace, we need to value peace more than we value money. What do you value more? And so for those that are running their own businesses or entrepreneurs, maybe we don't work at night and we don't earn that money because we want to have a life of peace more than a life of high income? Or what if it's really bad that we actually drop to four days a week or something? Well, I don't know, like we need to wrestle with this. If we make idols of money, then we are gonna be stressed and busy. But if we say, I'm gonna live with less money to have more time and more peace, then I suspect something can shift and change within us. And uh, the second, and Proverbs 17:1 says this: "Better a dry crust with peace and quiet, than a house full of feasting with strife." Yeah. How good's that? Far they just have a have a crusty bread for dinner, but I've got peace. Then have like a, a house of tension and strife and stress, and we've got a big banquet going on. The second thing, so the first thing, if we want to step into this, we've got to value peace more than than income. Secondly, if we want to. Uh, walk into places of peace, we've got to be okay with disappointing people. Jesus, I think often when we're in the kitchen making sandwiches, Jesus didn't ask us to make. I mean, he wants us to sit at his feet. And that's, and what I mean by that, we can be doing all sorts of activity and even godly, you know, churchy good activity, but it's not the stuff God's called us to. So we're doing it for whatever reason. And so we have to be, make friends with the feeling of disappointing people if you want to be a person of peace. People are always going to be asking for your time, always going to be asking that you do more. So you've got to make friends with the feeling of disappointing people if you want to live a life of peace. And so you need to make friends with the feeling of disappointing the church. Uh, we're going to ask you to do things. I'm not in control of your rhythms. I've got my pom-poms out cheering for good ones. But my dream is that we all chip in a bit so that there's not like, you know, the 10% flogging ourselves to make this thing happen. So like, and if you're here on a Sunday, you might as well help in a team or rest of it. And, and, I, and I do, you know, you're like, oh, yay, finally a pastor said you could disappoint church. I'm going to say this as well to counter that. Why is it that church is the first thing to get dropped? Like when it comes to income, when it comes to giving, and when it comes to time, it's the first thing that goes. What if Rupert Murdoch was the first thing to go? We just, you know, screw you, Sky TV. Uh, things, I'm going to simplify my life, so I'm going to screw you, Rupert Murdoch, but I'm going to continue to be faithful to the church in terms of my giving or whatever. Right? So whatever. You've got to work that out yourself. And seriously, if you say no to me, it's okay. We say no to some of our guys, it's okay. In fact, I'm going to cheer you on. And I am going to have issue with people that always say yes. Because that is broken. We actually need to have some margin in our lives. But if we all contribute, there's no dramas. Okay? Anyway. So you've got to be okay with disappointing people. You've got to be okay with disappointing your parents. Some of us, even though we're really old, are still living with our parents' expectation of what our days should look like. You need to disappoint your parents and say, I'm not going to live like you baby boomers lived. I'm going to live in peace. Most of those guys burnt themselves out. 
and, and it's just not healthy. Most of the pastors that were boomers burnt themselves out. And thankfully, the, I now inherit the wisdom of those guys who've written incredible books to help me as a young pastor not have to go down that track. So you, some of us need to disappoint our parents. Sometimes we have to disappoint our boss's expectations. Are you prepared to do that to pursue peace? that you're not going to just be chewed up and spat out, that you're not going to be a victim of this bully, but you're going to take control of your lives and say, I value peace. If his front's firing. Matt works for Francois. <laughs> cultures, you've got to disappoint cultures expectation that you're foot to the floor. Bruce has done this actually, he was telling me, he was stressed out to the eyeballs and he started, he dialed back how much work he's been doing on the orchards in recent years. And best decision he's ever made, you've got to disappoint people to pursue peace. And it's a horrible feeling, but you have to make friends with that. Fourthly or whatever, up to bullet point number whatever, we have to be willing to do some counselling and soul searching to work out where the drivenness is coming from. And that may be the parents' expectation, maybe other brokenness that is causing us to just live in a way that is destroying our souls. Well, I've been to counseling, as I've said this before, I've been in ministry 15 years, there hasn't been a single year, but this one, I think, because I've yet to find a counselor, where I haven't been in counseling at some point. Just to work through some of this stuff. You don't just go to counseling because you're really screwed up. You go to counseling because you don't realize how screwed up you are because the pastor talked about peace and busyness and you realize you're really a mess. You want to find a good counselor and work out where the brokenness is in your life that you're allowing yourselves to live like that because you don't have to be a victim. And that's my last point. Stop being a victim of your circumstances and take control of your life. You choose to be a victim. You choose to be a victim. And you can choose not to be. No one, like, and, and there are people who have gone through bigger hells than you who have chosen not to be victims and have lived a life in all of its fullness. We allow, so now, if, if you've gone through some big stuff in your life, you need healing. I'm not saying we, we hide it, but I'm, you, you take control and say, I'm not gonna allow my life to be dictated by what happened in the past, or I'm not gonna let my life or my soul be dictated by my parents' expectation, my boss's expectation, or that stupid decision I made back then, or all the stupid marketing that I've believed or whatever. I'm gonna choose to be free. So I'm gonna ring up a counselor, I'm gonna talk to Sam Harvey, I'm gonna do whatever it is to just walk into piles of peace. And, and as we finish this morning, I'm gonna invite people that wanna receive prayer to come forward and receive prayer because it's that thing of I want it. So I'm gonna choose to have this. So here's some recommended reading. If uh, now we're going over time, but if, here's some recommended reading if you want to take this seriously. Uh, Emotionally healthy spirituality. We're we're inevitably going to do that book as a church. We're going to do a course. We're going to get everyone in small groups, and we're going to do the emotionally healthy spirituality course uh, as a church probably next year sometime. But I just thoroughly recommend this book. Work your way through it and let it slap you hard, and then work out how to live. Okay. Um, strengthening the soul of your leader um, of your leadership. I'm reading this right now in the middle of this. This isn't just about leadership. It's about healthy rhythms, about how to live in a whole way. And um, that's it's easy to read. It's looking at the life of Moses, and it's, it's very helpful. Um, Gary Thomas, Sacred Pathways, how to just go deeper in your devotional life with the Lord. I'm gonna talk about this next Sunday, but I've got some ideas for small groups and um, for bay groups in term three. One of them is somebody going, yeah, I wanna do a book study where we read one chapter a week and then we just we do a book club. 
and we get together at seven in the morning at McDonald's, whatever, and we just talk for an hour before work about what we're learning is from that chapter, and, and we have some book clubs going on. That would be one that would be amazing to do, because my absolute burning desire is I'm praying for you guys as a church. One of the things the Lord wants to do in us is teach us again what it looks like to have a private world with Him, a daily, structured time with the Lord where it's not just in the car or running from thing to thing. Or, and, and people are like, oh, I just pray as I run around. No, where it's time with him, structured like a trellis so that the John 15, the vine can grow and they're healthy. So what are, those, what are those disciplines that the church has always been about that were forgotten? What are those things and how can we apply them to our lives now? And blah, 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 blah. Here's, here's the last, I come into land with this. Oh, Lord, give me strength and help and I'm sorry, Charlotte, and whatever. Okay. Here's, I land with this, and there's so much more I wanted to say, but I land with this. God wants this for you more than you want it for yourself. God wants it for you more than you want it for yourself. He died that, that we would know Easter Sunday life, resurrection life. What does resurrection life look like? Some of the stuff I'm talking about now. Do you know how good your soul can feel? Do you know how good it can feel when you have margin, when you have silence and solitude as part of your framework, when you have a communion with God that's not just rush but it's deep and rich, when you can engage with people and be present with lilies and birds and people and all sorts of the beauty. Do you know how good your soul can feel? This is the resurrection life Jesus was talking about, and he wants it for you. He wants it for you. I come into land with this, Matthew 11. Then we're, let's stand together, and I'm going to read this. And then in a second, if you want to receive prayer, because you want it, and, uh, and either you want peace with God because you're struggling with that, or you want peace in your heart and mind because of struggle to park some stuff, or whether you just know you've been running way too hard for too long, I want to invite you to come forward, and we're just going to minister to one another and ask the Holy Spirit to wash away the weariness and to lead us into places of life. Jesus said this, Are you tired? Worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.